You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, look with me, Isaiah chapter 55. I want to read just a few verses in your hearing tonight. Looking at the subject, discovering greatness. Discovering greatness. What is it that separates a good life from a great life, a, a good Christian walk from a great Christian walk, a good church from a great church? The Bible says in verse number 6 of our text, the prophetic word of God, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Love that little phrase, abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, I referenced that this morning, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains on the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Beautiful, beautiful poetry here, the word of prophecy. But I want to share just these thoughts on the subject, Discovering Greatness. Most people today are perfectly satisfied to say, well, I'm living a good life. Um, if you're an athlete and you're saying, well, I'm a good athlete. If you're a singer, well, I'm a good singer. If you have a church, well, we're a good church. But I pray that a good athlete is always desiring to be a great athlete and a singer, a great singer. And all of these things, if I were to ask you about your marriage and you were to say to me, well, I have a good marriage. Wouldn't it be better to say, oh, I have a great marriage. How are your kids doing? Oh, they're doing good. No, it'd be better to say, oh, they're doing great. So that should be the desire of our heart, greatness. I believe we have a good church. Obviously, there are areas of need of improvement. Um, and, and, you know, we have a, a lot going on, but we could always do more, always do better. But as a church, and then also individually, I want us to look at just a few truths we find here in the Scriptures on discovering greatness. Well, the first thing we need to do is examine what is greatness. What is it that makes a, a church great? Or what is it that makes a, a Christian life great? Well, many people would say, well, a, a great church is one that's filled with people. Well, not necessarily. Uh, there are probably churches across our land that are full, but just as empty and when it comes to spiritual things. So it's not just the number of people that show up. I know of some churches that are very small in number, but are very powerful when it comes to the kingdom work they're doing. And uh, I share, and he's not here tonight, he's speaking at another church, but 
When I went up to Galatia Baptist Church a year and a half ago or so and did revival uh, there with David Foster, uh, they were in a very, very remote setting. I would compare it to Abbotsburg, but maybe even more far out, just out at a crossroads, nothing for 20 miles in any direction. And there's this church sitting there. And on a good Sunday, they'll run 75 to 100 people, maybe at homecoming, they might have a little over 100 and you go in there and you say, what limited potential? And there's not much that they're going to do to reach a lot of people. There's nobody around there. Um, you know, it's just a lot of cornfields and tobacco farms and things like that. But as I was there for those few days, I saw a church that while not great in number, they were great in impact and they were working in the college uh, 40 minutes away at Chowan. They were uh, active with missions and sending ministries uh, teams to Vermont and to the Appalachian cold fields and were doing ministry on an Indian reservation in Arizona and New Mexico and all of these things. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I can guarantee you that church is not recognized as being a, a great church because of their limited, you know, their numbers but they're doing great work. So when we think about greatness, don't just think about uh, numeric greatness and, and help that comes by those things that are just on the surface. So greatness, literally, is what we're talking about this morning, our kingdom impact, what we're accomplishing for the Lord. And then also, what is greatness when it comes to a Christian life? And you say, well... I read my Bible. I know a man, he tells me all the time, I read my Bible every year all the way through. Now, he lives like a heathen, but he reads his Bible. It just, it's just kind of his theme, I guess, so that at the end of the day, he can tell God, well, I read the Bible. God's not all that impressed unless there's the heart to back it up that's receiving the Word and ingesting the Word and hiding the Word. So it's not just about practicing religion. It's not just about going through the motion, but a life that would be marked as a Christian life that is lived greatly or, or is marked by greatness is one that has a deep heart for others and a sincerity and a desire and integrity that says there's really something to this. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not just putting on an act. I'm not just uh, serving a role so that I could check something off or impress myself or others. So greatness, it's a genuineness before the Lord. It's faithfully accomplishing the kingdom work that he's placed before us. Well, let's look at this text together very quickly. Number one, look with me in verse number six. We see here that there's a pursuit for greatness. The Bible says, seek ye, Lord, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, when we think about seeking, we think about that passage of Scripture that says knock and seek and ask, and it's a, a repetitive nature that there's got to be a desire. When was the last time we truly desired something? I was seeing a commercial not too long ago, and it was a very moving commercial about Alzheimer's, and it was a, a young doctor, a very young girl who was a doctor, and she said, in my lifetime, I will find a cure for Alzheimer's. I am going to work tirelessly day and night. I am going to find this. And she was passionate because she was pursuing something that she knew was vitally important. And she said, millions of people are counting on me. The fact of the matter is that millions of people are literally counting on Christians to pursue greatness. There is nothing that competes more with greatness than goodness. Goodness can be that thing that separates us from greatness. Goodness can cause us to be complacent where we're not sharing our faith. Goodness causes us to compare ourselves with other people. And, and we would say, well, I'm better than they are. And I'm living a, a life that's just as good as they are. But when we match ourselves up to the mark of Scripture, and when we realize that that is the only standard by which we will be held 
There needs to be a desire for greatness. So think about this. Are there some goals that we're setting for ourselves right now? And maybe we would say, well, you know, I'm doing good at my church attendance, but I'm going to be pursuing sharing my faith more. I've been reading my Bible, but I'm going to pursue understanding my Bible. I've been serving the Lord, but I'm going to pursue doing more for the Lord. Maybe your heart's pricked at what's going on in our nation. You say, somehow, I'm going to take a week of vacation. I'm Instead of going to Disney World or somewhere, I'm going to go to Texas, and I'm going to spend a week feeding people who desperately need a meal. Or I'm going to get on a plane, and I'm going to go to Puerto Rico and spend 10 days, whatever. And I realize that sometimes people are limited and not able to do that, but that's a pursuit. Lord, I want more. Lord, I'm desiring something greater and something deeper. We will never achieve greatness if there's not a pursuit and a desire. The Bible says, "Seek seek ye the Lord. It is between you and him. It's not something that we can prescribe. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor, I'm living a good life, but I want to step up and I want to live a great life. Now, Pastor, give me 10 steps that I can follow and I'll make it happen. It's not between me and you. You can't say, well, I'm going to get involved in the church and I'm going to join the greatness committee because I want to be a part of something great. No, literally, it is about you getting before the Lord and saying, Lord, I desire to do more. Lord, I desire a deeper walk, a more intimate walk with you. I want to have your mind. Lord, as I think, I want to be able to think clearly with scriptural eyes. Lord, I want your heart. When I see people, I want to love people and embrace people with the very heart of Christ. Lord, I want to live a life that others can see is not mediocre, is not just par or slightly above par. But literally, I want people to see that this is someone who is desiring to live a great life, not so that they can be acknowledged, but that he can be acknowledged. Sometimes understanding that we can't do it all on our own needs to be first and foremost. I cannot achieve greatness just by wanting it, just by by, by trying to go after it, but it's got to be a partnership between me and the Lord. Let me go ahead and tell you something. He wants greatness for you. When Jesus walked with the disciples, he would look at them and he would break, it would break his heart because he would see their very limited amount of faith. He would perform miracles and yet they weren't convinced. And it was as if he was saying, what's it going to take for you to want something great for yourselves? When he left, he told the disciples that they would accomplish what? Greatness. That they would accomplish greater things after the Holy Ghost was come upon them. So we have everything that we need to achieve greatness. But do we desire that? Do we desire that? Now understand, part of that is being humble enough to realize we've not already achieved it. Part of it is realizing that we've still got a long way to go. I do believe there was a chapter in the life of this church, and as your pastor, I was probably guilty for this, that we got to the point that we looked around and we said, you know, we're doing better numerically than every other church around. We're doing more programs, and we're a good church. And I think there was a time that maybe we were satisfied because we were a good church. I think there needs to constantly be that driving challenge, that push of vision, that whatever ministry it is. And I'm grateful. Uh, every year I, I go and I visit with our day school teachers and, and Miss Kitty's added something else to her room and always thinking, always building more, but always aspiring for something more. This year needs to be a little better than last year. Now, now I, we don't need to get in a competition with ourselves, but always 
stretching ourselves. What can we do so that next year's fall festival or next year's, you know, Christmas cantata, next year's whatever, everything next year, we, we want to learn, we want to build on, we want to grow. Why? Because we're pursuing something that's going to be great. Why? Because the person that we're pursuing is great and greatly to be praised. He deserves greatness. He doesn't deserve goodness. He doesn't deserve so-so-ness. He deserves the very best we have. And that begins with us desiring that. There's a, di a diligence in our desire. There's a devotion in our desire. Lord, I'm going to stay at this. Lord, I'm going to be faithful. Lord, I'm not going to be satisfied. Number two, we see in verse number six, there's our pursuit. But I love verse number seven. Stuck in here, and it seems almost out of place. In the midst of seeking the Lord and in the midst of understanding his thoughts, we have this big verse, verse 7. I title this, Our Pardon. Our Pardon. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. Now, notice something. You can't return unto the Lord unless you belong to him. There had to be life there. There's a picture of the backslidden condition. Now in verse 6, it's a picture of someone pursuing the Lord. I'm pursuing greatness. I'm begging. I'm seeking something. I'm calling upon the Lord. But then all of a sudden here it says, we, if there's any evil way in us, thought processes, lifestyles, choices, motives, ambitions, greed, whatever it is, We've got to forsake those things. Notice it doesn't say in verse 6, acknowledge it, tell God you're sorry, and he'll forgive you. But it says to forsake. In other words, to repent, to turn, to leave it behind. When you forsake something, it's literally as if you're abandoning something. You're taking it and you're disposing of it and you're going in the other direction. We're to forsake that way. We're to realize the unrighteous man needs to forsake his thoughts and then let him return unto the Lord. I like this. And he will have mercy upon him. In other words, God will not give us what we deserve. And he will not only have mercy, the Bible says, he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. One of the obstacles from greatness, from us achieving greatness, may be some kind of sin in our life. And you say, boy, preacher, Sunday night and you're going to preach on sin. Well, it's right here in the text, trying to understand the mind of God and how we pursue something great. Could there be something keeping us from greatness? I'm amazed how many people I meet and, and talk to in hospitals and other places, and um, they had something physically going on, something with their help that they had no clue. I was talking to someone recently, and they were uh, literally training to run with their child, with their son, in a, a, a partial marathon. I think it might have been a half a marathon. And, and so they began conditioning. And they began working out and they began running. So they'd run, you know, a half a mile and then they'd run a mile and they just kept building up. And the more they tried to run, the shorter of a breath they became, the more they, they had chest pains. And they finally said, I better go get checked out. And they went and they got checked out and found out they had some blockages in their heart and had to have some stents put in. And they said, you know, I never even knew those things were there. I never even knew I had that problem until I started running, until I started pushing myself, until I started striving for greatness, so to speak. Whenever we begin striving for greatness, God is going to reveal some things in our life that we may not have even realized were there. The closer we get to God, 
the more we're going to realize things in our lives, and I'm not talking about that we're out robbing the liquor store and running around on our spouse, but just those acts of omission and commission, those sins that are separating us from having that greatness in our lives. It may be a lack of trust or lack of faith. It may be a, a sense of um, you know, pride in our lives, something that literally the Bible says we need to, to turn from them, we need to forsake. But there's good news when we do forsake it. This guy was talking to me, he said, man, I, it was great though. I got my stents put in and now I'm able to run, I'm able to do, it's just great. And he was liberated and he was celebrating that fact. What a picture of us being able to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I've got these problems, I've got these issues, it's sin in the camp and it's my life. And God, I confess and I repent and I forsake these sins. And to know that we've been set free and he has abundantly pardoned us. See, here's the thing. When we realize that we've been abundantly pardoned, that will motivate us for greatness. We'll realize how much he loves us, how much he's given us, how much he's done for us. And there's going to be a desire. I want to give everything I have. I want to put everything I've got into this, serving the Lord. I want to aspire for greatness. There's the pursuit we find in verse 6. There's the pardon we find in verse 7. But then in verses 8 and 9, we see the perspective. Okay, when we think about greatness, think with me. The Bible says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's a matter of perspective. You see, this is as much as we can think. This is as much as we can dream. This is as much as we can imagine. This is as much as we can vision or goal or anything like this. You get that? This is it. When it comes to whether it's the preaching ministry, the music ministry, some other ministry, this is it. This is our cap. And God says, but I've got something more. Now, if, if we're satisfied to say, well, I, I did my best. I gave it my best shot. We'll never achieve greatness. Now, I want to tell you, it's not easy trying to achieve greatness. It's not easy trying to step up. It's not easy trying to step out. It's a lot easier, it's a lot more comfortable just to, just to kind of find a level ground and just kind of float along. But God doesn't call us to that. So what we need to do, there needs to be this perspective, even though it may be over our head. God, that's what I'm aiming for. God, that's what I'm, I'm desiring. The Bible says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. That's my goal. That's my, that's my, my, my ambition. That's my vision. God-sized things. Uh, if you look back at story after story after story of religious leaders over the last hundred years or so, many of them had big goals. And without exception, they had big, big uh, opponents. They had people who did not believe they'd ever achieve what they set out to achieve. Probably my favorite is the story of Jerry Falwell looking at Liberty Mountain and feeling led. That, that there needed to be a college, a university built on that. And, and he literally would walk around the base of this mountain and pray over it. And people told him it was crazy. He'd never be able to get this mountain. It was way, and honestly, uh, they got in a lot of debt and just about lost everything. And he kept believing and kept believing and kept believing until finally that entire mountain was part of the, the, the Liberty University, the largest Christian university in the world. And, and you know, think about that. And I'm not tooting Jerry Falwell's horn more than it needs to be tooted. But all of that began with one person's vision. He called them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. One person, and that's all it took. 
Doesn't matter how many people told him he couldn't do it. One person was audacious enough to say, I'm going to aim for God-sized goals. Now, y'all, I, I know we've got some, um, some God-sized goals around here, and um, I'm grateful for a lot of places we go, and people are using our church as sort of a role model, and I tell them they, uh, they need to, you know, they, I'm glad they don't know everything about the in-workings of it at times, but a church in a rural area planting other churches and partnering with other churches and the kingdom work that we're doing, I believe there's far more that God would still have us to do in the days to come. But I'm grateful that we didn't just say, well, this is good. Let's, let's just keep it good. But what can we do to aspire for greatness? And, and there's so much more. I mean, we're, we hadn't reached the pinnacle. We've got so much more that we need to do. I, I wonder, because God knows the end from the beginning, I wonder... In five years or ten years, what this is all going to look like. And I don't know. God does. But I think about the potential of our camp property that God has blessed us with. And it is a huge undertaking. Um, the biggest un undertaking of my life. But I think about boys and girls accepting Christ at that camp. I think about pastors who nine out of ten pastors do not end their ministry in retirement. They walk away. Pastors that were able to minister to there and love them back and, and do things of that nature. Um, married couples whose marriages are nearly over and they can come there and have a retreat and maybe restore their marriage. The scenarios play through my mind time and time and time again. And it's those things that I concentrate on when I get to the point night after night I'm not able to sleep and I'm thinking and I'm wondering, is it worth it all? Is it worth the struggle here and at the, at the Lake Church and back and forth and now stepping into a, another area of ministry and kind of being pulled in every direction? And the answer is yes, it is worth it all. I have a hobby. At, I don't know it's not a hobby. It's something I enjoy doing. I, I love to go through cemeteries and read. I just think it's interesting. I was in the mountains and the youth pastor at the church I was at, he and his wife sold their home and bought an 1800s primitive Baptist church and they're going to live there on the premises and they're going to operate a small youth camp there and youth groups from the mountains can come there. And they also inherited an old cemetery from the 1800s and through the 1900s. And I, and I went and I just read, it, you, know, um, you know, epitaph after epitaph after epitaph. And you read these things and you realize each of these lives were lived and, and there was a story and there's some legacy there. And there are people up there in Wilkes County still walking around that are kin to some of these people that have been buried there. And you can't help but think about your own mortality. You know, there is going to come a time where I am going to die and, and, uh, and they're going to have a funeral for me and in 30 minutes or so they're going to sing some songs, say some words and finite, that's it. And I want to know that behind me has been a, a wake of kingdom work. I don't want to just somebody say, well, he's a good fella. You know, I don't want him to say he's a bad fella, but I, don't, I, want, I want to be able to look back at the end of my life and go, you know what, I at least tried for greatness. I didn't always hit the mark, but I tried. I gave it my best shot. God, I want to know your thoughts. God, I don't want to just know, and, and I mean this with all due respect. Please understand, I don't want to just pull the church. I hear that all the time, I, uh, and it's important. God gives us discerning spirits that we can work together and, and, and vision and discern and dream together. But when we poll the church and say, okay, we're going to take a poll of the church and the majority rules, that works well if everybody's prayed up and discerning. But what happens if they're not? 
You see, it's not about our thoughts and about our ways because at best they're going to be good, but your thoughts, Lord, your ways, that's what I'm aspiring for. Are you with me tonight? I mean, that's what we want. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Literally, there's more going on than what we even realize. Think about when people walk in the doors of the church and they're visiting. What brought them here? Maybe they drove by and thought it was a pretty church. i got to tell you this because I'm sentimental today. Uh, 17 years ago at this very moment, Tiffany and I were sitting in a Holiday Inn Express with uh, baby Brooks and four-year-old Haston. We had ordered a pizza and we're looking out the window waiting on the pizza to arrive and I realized that everything I owned was in the back of a U-Haul truck. It was it. We had left everything we knew and we're moving down here. We stopped in uh, Rockingham for the night and it was not that long of a trip, but we just made half the trip Sunday afternoon and then the other half Monday morning. And, um, you know, looking at that um, picture in my mind, how, how quickly uh, that, that time has come and gone, it's really just amazing to me. And when I think back over those 17 years, I get tired. I get tired of thinking of just, you know, how much, you know, it's, you know, it's happened, good and bad and otherwise. It's, uh, but you go, wow, in so many ways it's just flown by, you know. It goes so very fast. And I think, what will it feel like in another 17 years? I'll be 60. For some of y'all that seems young. For me, it's kind of like, you know, it's, you know, anyway, I probably won't go down that road. But it's hard to imagine, right? Wow, how fast time goes. How fast time goes. And a little bit sidetracked, I, I tend to do that sometimes. The fact of the matter is, I came here hoping I could be a good pastor. Hoping people would like me. All of those kind of things. But even as we made that journey down 52 and 74 and 95 and 41, and the closer we got to Dublin, the more nervous I got. And I remember thinking, I have no clue what I'm doing. I hope they don't figure it out. Literally. But the whole journey, God was saying, I got this. I've got something great. I've got something that I'm going to do. I've got something that I want to do. And, and it's great confidence in knowing we don't have to do that. We don't have to come up with a plan. We don't have to invent something. We don't have to create something. We simply have to tap into it to, to allow God to show us his thoughts and show us his ways. You see, that's the perspective. Things look different from his perspective than they do from our perspective. We can sometimes only see the obstacles like the children of Israel where God sees the opportunity. Let me ask you something tonight. What are you spending more time thinking about right now? Man, this is a Sunday morning question. What are you spending more time thinking about for the church? Our obstacles or our opportunities? Now, I'm going to be honest. I get more calls about the obstacles than I do the opportunities. I, I hear more um, about the obstacles than I do the opportunities, you know? How rude, Tiffany. Oh, it's my phone. Never mind. 
One of these days the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. Tell them I'll call them back and tell them they ought to be in church tonight. It's probably my mom and daddy. Bless their hearts. I don't know how they get all the energy they get. They're in the Grand Canyon tonight. Mama called this afternoon. She said, can't talk but a second. We're on a train heading to the Grand Canyon. Just wanted you to know we're alive. Bye. 78 years old and they're aspiring for greatness, right? Greatness. Kind of tied it back together. The perspective. It's over my head, but it's not over his. Number four. Notice with me in verse 10. God's provision. You see, when he gives us his vision, when he gives us his thoughts, when he shows us his ways, he doesn't say, now y'all go, y'all go achieve that. <clears throat> y'all go find out and figure it out and y'all go. But he says, listen, the rain comes down from heaven. Snow comes down from heaven and it doesn't return. But it waters the earth. It makes it bring forth the bud. It, it produces fruit. And listen, when I send my word to you, when I show you my ways, when I reveal my thoughts to you, I'm going to give the increase. I'll make it fruitful. Listen, nothing that God plants will fail to grow. Nothing that God inspires will fail, will fail to, to take off. Ethel Waters told Billy Graham one time, God don't sponsor no flops. And we need to remember that. If we're pursuing greatness, if we're going after the things that the mind of God has, has derived, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It cannot fail. More than ever before, we need to pray as a church for God's provision. We need to pray that God would show us what he's doing. And God would reveal to us how we can be a part of that. When we think about this heavenly perspective, we've got to understand that when God calls us to do something great, it's going to meet with resistance. It's going to be difficult. Smooth sailing only happens... When you're just kind of going with the flow. I'm grateful we're not a church that goes with the flow. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. That God will give us everything that we need. Finally, number five, we see there's a promise. Notice what the Bible says. So my word that comes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. There's God's divine will. God's divine will. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees in the fields shall clap their hands. There is nothing more exciting, nothing more worshipful than seeing the hand of God at work. I don't remember the year, but it's been quite a few. Um, and you've, most of you have heard this story, but Mr. Jimmy and I were, were flying. I was trying to get some pictures for a church directory. And um, as we were flying over, we were in a situation as a church that we were landlocked and we needed to, to build. We needed more space. And uh, we, we were hoping maybe to get some properties right around the church, but we didn't really know how to go about that. And as we were flying up in the, the airplane, all of a sudden there's this big block of trees right behind the church. And it was as if I was thinking, well, how come I never thought about this? How come I never saw this? How come I've never driven by and gone, aha, here it is. And I became so excited, literally in a worshipful mood, I could not wait to get back on the ground and begin pursuing uh, this piece of property that I felt like would be a great help to us. Looking back at that, those were one of those divine moments where God spoke. God made it so very clear. 
And step by step by step, he provided that piece of property uh, for us. We stand now needing one additional piece of property. We're praying for that. God in his timing, work out all the details, and he will. But realize that we can't make things happen. We can't. It's a matter of saying, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, show us, reveal us what you would have us do. Lord, show us. We fast forward through the years at building programs and other things that we've been through, uh, adding staff and ministries and, and then birthing you know, the lake campus and now finally the camp. And, and I'll be honest, I'm kind of asking, Lord, don't, tempt, don't show me anything else. I've got about all we can handle right now. I argued with the Lord many times about the camp property because honestly, I do have more on my plate than I need. But I knew that that was not something I could just turn a deaf ear to and act as though God wasn't speaking that. You might be here tonight and that may seem like, well, listen, I don't believe in blaming God for things that aren't His idea, but I do believe in giving God credit for those things you know are. And uh, while I don't understand how it's all going to work out in the long run and how this is all going to settle, I do know that God has allowed us to experience some truly great things as a church. I'm humbled that the Lord has allowed me to witness some some truly great things in ministry uh, that I absolutely am not deserving of and I, I truly uh, thank Him every day for. Well, I just want to encourage tonight as we close to ask yourself in your own individual life, is there any part of your life that you could maybe strive a little bit harder for? Maybe desire a little bit more when it comes to the greatness. God is a great God. And he wants us to see and to witness and to accomplish great things for his glory. Listen, there are people out there that are depending on us to do great things. Um, I'm always amazed at what's going on from a heavenly perspective. 